Thank you for that warm welcome. <laughs> All right. Before we get started uh, in our text tonight, I wanted just to set the stage of the context that we're in. So currently we're in the New Testament. We're in the fourth book, the Gospel of John, and we're in what is called Passion Week, which we're about to celebrate uh, as a church community coming up here pretty soon with uh, Palm Sunday and then Good Friday and Easter coming in uh, just actually a few weeks. It's crazy, isn't it? Um, so we're, we're at uh, Thursday night uh, in the Passion Week. Uh, and so what we're going to go through today is what is commonly referred to as the high priestly prayer. And this is happening, you know, when it's dark before or in, into early Friday morning. And this is before the trial, the crucifixion. And three, day, three days later, Jesus will rise. So what we're, we're looking at is a prayer that starts off with the glory of God and then continues uh, throughout uh, to their transition to the, into the, actually into the garden. So just keep this in mind that we're not covering verse 20, but verse 20 also explains that this prayer is for all believers, not just the disciples. Okay, so i uh, going to go ahead and have you stand like we do. So we're at John 17, and then we're going to be 13 through 19, but I will be making references later to what's going to be taking place uh, later in later verses, because it just, uh, just sounds really better that way. All right, but now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they also may be sanctified in truth. All right, you can go ahead and have a seat. And like I said, we'll be making references to a couple of verses after this, uh, and you will be covering that uh, either in your own private study or in the following week with your groups to wrap up our series. So I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we'll, get, jump, we'll jump right into the main point. Heavenly Father, praise your name above all names. None are above you. All shall bow before you. We confess to you our sins of pride and unbelief that is among us. Uh, we thank you for your truth, your grace, your mercy, and your justice. Please grant us hearts that are soft, ears that are open, and minds focused on your word, your truth, and your spirit, powering our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Main point for tonight is that Jesus lifts troubled souls by sanctifying us in his truth and joy. And we're going to talk about that joy and how it sets us apart. So, some observations in the text. Uh, there's some notes at the bottom of your, note, of your notebook in that page that talk about uh, sanctify or sanctity and a couple other uh, items. But some things I wanted to point out uh, is about truth, uh, the word, 
sanctify and consecrate, which in the Greek were very similar words, uh, almost precisely the same root word, actually the same root word. Uh, and then the world, which can be meaning different things, uh, but in this sense, we're, we'll talk about it. And then evil or the evil one. And so are there any other observations that you, uh, that you have before we move forward? Okay, I'm not going to randomly call on anyone. I'm just going to move on. All right, so what I'd like to point out is that Jesus flat out says, your truth, the word, uh, your word is truth. And so we're going to get into a little bit of that today. We're going to talk about the word, the world, and then the calling. And so before we move into that, I want to pull out some, some truth that's in the passage. And one of the things that I want to put in front of you tonight to think through this is that love is not the gospel. The gospel is love. So many people today believe that, their, their, um, that they love their idea of who God is or love other people in a way that's apart from God and outside of the gospel. And that is an, an inaccurate understanding. Um, we're going to get into more of that as we go forward tonight when we get to the gospel and what it means to be the gospel that is love, but think of it this way. Jesus was sent here to be a sacrifice to, to redeem us from where we were destined to be. And I'm going to read scripture that clearly points this out. But keep in mind that in his prayer, Jesus is claiming to be God, one with God, sharing glory and worship and love. And if you read enough of the Old Testament, you'll see that God does not share his glory. And therefore, Jesus glorifying the Father and the Father glorifying him is a testament to a statement, and that statement is that Jesus is God. So how can we stand firm on this truth? Well, Jesus shows us in here and very clearly that there's a relationship between him and the Father, and then also we've talked about this throughout the study, that there's a relationship of the spirit of truth that he's going to be sending. So we understand this as the Trinity, and that Jesus has paid the cost for us to be a part of that and a part of their family and a part of that for all eternity and that that joy that they have among them is given to us as a gift a gift of the holy spirit and so how do we stand firm on that well in the passage there's spiritual security highlighted in verse 15 spiritual unity which actually comes more into play in verses 21 and 23 spiritual joy which is uh, highlighted in verse 13, and uh, spiritual walk in verse 18. So let's, let's go ahead and take a, a look back at the actual verses real quick, and I'll point out what do I mean. Okay, so spiritual security, it says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. The Holy Spirit is indwelling, or indwelling the believers uh, and keeping us from the, the snatches of Satan and hell itself. The Holy Spirit will keep us and secure us for all eternity and save us from that damnation. So that is how spiritual security is played out in this part of the prayer. Spiritual unity, which uh, is not directly stated in this specific section, but plays out in the next section, is that we are united with Christ. We're united with the Father and with 
the Holy Spirit, and then we're also united together. So I would recommend you jump forward a little bit later and read that. And then spiritual joy in verse 13, uh, Jesus says that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So that's his joy in the workmanship of which we provide, but also the joy that we have in the fellowship of believers together focused on Christ. And then in the walk, it says right here, as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And that, for those of us uh, that are familiar with uh, Matthew 28, that sounds very close to the Great Commission, being sent ones. Okay, so let's talk about what Jesus is talking about, the Word. Well, how do we think about the Word? Well, the Word for us, the, the Bible, the very words of God, it, asks, it begs the question, how did Jesus view the Word? Well, number one, he viewed it as authoritative, imperishable, infallible, inerrant, reliable, accurate, and ultimate supremacy. He even says in uh, Matthew 5, 17 through 20, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be uh, called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And then he goes on to talk more about righteousness and needing to exceed the Pharisees breathed into the kingdom of heaven. Well, what does that mean? Does it mean do you have to do something to, to secure your salvation? No. We claim Christ. Christ has done that. His righteousness is applied to us, and we can rest in that. So Jesus views Scripture in those seven ways. Also, he used it against Satan in the wilderness. It's, a, it's an offensive and defensive weapon that we can use to fight off the lies of the devil, the doubt that could creep in that is to shake us off the path that God has called us to, and that path is to follow his will and word. He also viewed it as pointing to him. Multiple times he would claim that he is the fulfillment of Scripture, and I just highlighted that, that he is here to fulfill them. But other prophecies he would claim as he being the, the result of that prophecy, and then also prophesying more to come about himself. And then you read Revelation, that plays out even more. So the second question you ask yourself is, okay, well, then how did the apostles view the word? Well, in one scripture uh, section... We can uh, complete that, and that is in Second uh, Timothy three sixteen through seventeen. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's just one section that the apostles, uh, specifically Paul, writing to another pastor. There are many other sections that we could go over, but we would be here all night, and I don't want to disrespect your time. But if you want, I can send you resources on what the apostles thought of Scripture, and they thought of it just as Jesus did, and so I'm not going to repeat all that, but that mainly that it is for us to do the good work that's in front of us. And then also something I would like to point out, uh, what does the Scripture say about themselves? Well, I, uh, I challenge you, and apparently you have more free time. Psalm 119. It is one of the longest chapters. Actually, it is the longest chapter in the Bible. Uh, 
Read Psalm 119 and you'll come away with that, what Scripture thinks of itself and how we are to view Scripture. So that is the Word, the Word viewed by Jesus, viewed by the apostles, and viewed by itself. So let's talk about the world. So in the, in the verses that we read, there is not of the world, as he is not of the world, but sent into the world, and we are to be sent into the world. So let's think about that. What does Jesus say about the world? Well, in John 3:16, he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. And many of us would say that, and you see John 3:16. I think there was a famous football player for a while there that had it on his face quite often. But there's more to it, and the more to it is that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the uh, only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come uh, to the light, lest his works shall be, or should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. That is sobering. It's sobering to think that our salvation is, is tied to this being sent into the world and pulling us out of the world and to be saved apart from the world, to be sanctified, consecrated, to be set apart to not be of the world, but be in the world as salt and light. And then in John 16, you may remember this. We just went over this recently. Jesus says, I have said these things to you, that, uh, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I've overcome the world. And that brings us a great uh, amount of joy. And that's the joy that Jesus is imparting into us is that joy from him, joy from the Holy Spirit, and dwelt in us. And then in John 18, 36, Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants uh, would have been fighting that I, may, or I might not uh, be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not of this world. And then he says that uh, in reference in his, tr- in his trial um, when being asked about being a king. Okay, so... That's what Jesus has to say about the world. What did the apostles have to say about the world? In 1 John 2.15, Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And you think about that and you think, okay, well, so we're not supposed to love the world, but God loved the world. It's a different uh, understanding. So what I'd like to explain is do not behold to the world. The world is going to persecute you for being of Jesus, being of Christ, and that take heart that Christ's joy will be in you and among you. So when you don't love the world, and the world will persecute you, but you are to walk in a way that is loving to the world to be able to preach and share the gospel with them. And that's a hard thing to do, and it's a hard thing for us to do on our own. It's almost, I would say, impossible. That's why the Holy Spirit powers us in faith in joy and in love to be able to do that. And without the Holy Spirit, we would be unsuccessful and we would be uh, 
we would be strife full, so we'd be full of strife. In Romans 12, too, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, good, uh, what is good and what is acceptable and perfect. So we need to have the word washed over our minds and into our soul so that we are renewed and not conformed by the world, but renewed by the Spirit to then go out into the world to be that salt and light. Okay, what else do the apostles have to say? Well, in James 4.4, 4, uh, I'm going to skip the first part, but do not, uh, you, do you not know that friendship with the world is, uh, makes you an enemy with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And it talks about this in Romans as well, is that we're far from God. God loves us and saves us and takes us from being an enemy to being adopted sons and daughters of God. So we're brought into the family and set apart. We are sanctified. We are sanctified in truth. We are sanctified in the word and renewed uh, away from the world. So we're not of the world. We are not to be hold to the world, meaning to grasp it. We are to reach the world. We are to share the gospel. We are to share God's love through us, powered by the Holy Spirit. So how do we reach the world? Well, one, we must obey the call of our shepherd to repent and believe. We must be saved. And then we must become disciples, and we must walk in the Spirit. So how do we become disciples? Well, this is becoming disciples right here. Uh, joining together in fellowship of Jesus Christ, in fellowship of one another and believers, and also reaching the world of those who do not believe, our friends, our teammates, our classmates, our coworkers, our neighbors, and even those that are far from us. Uh, you never know how far your reach can be. So let's pause for a moment and think about that, that Jesus saves us and sets us apart. We are in the world, but we are to be separated from the world, and that Christ powers us through the Holy Spirit gives us this ability to walk in the Spirit, to walk in love, to have joy, to have peace, even though everything around us uh, is against us. It's against God because we are one of His. And one of the ways that I like to think about this is, um, I don't think any of you have been to prison, but so I'm going to go out on a limb, that uh, I have not been to prison myself either, uh, but I've been in something very similar. I was on a, a floating metal ship in the middle of the ocean and no land in sight. It's pretty close to a floating prison. Um, in that moment, I could still sing praise to God and joy, even though I thought land was very many weeks away. The apostles, when jailed in Acts, were singing praises to the Lord, and that joy impacted the people that were jailing them and possibly and also beating them. So think that through. You're locked in a prison cell, probably with the expectation that you're going to die, not to be rescued, and around people that want to nothing but hurt you, beat you, and destroy you. Yet you can sing the joy of the Lord. Um, so think through that, and the next time you're in a trial and a tribulation of sorts in your life, it may not look like everyone else, but find a way to praise God in that moment and share in the joy of the Lord. All right, so let's get to the call. Well, number one, the first part I said this is repent and believe, the, the, believe in the gospel, trust in Christ, that Christ is who he said he is. We were created in uh, the image of God, 
our sin separates us. Uh, in Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Our sin cannot be removed by our own hands. And in Ephesians 2, it says, excuse me, for, uh, for you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not uh, from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not from works so that no one may boast. You cannot do anything to save you. Christ has done it all. But you must believe in him. You must turn to him and turn away from your sin. The price has been paid. The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. And that this is the message of faith that the apostles proclaimed. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. This good news is for anyone, for everyone. There is no one too far from God. Um, you must decide if Jesus is your Lord or reject him. And if you reject him, you must categorize, categorize Jesus either, either as a liar, a lunatic, or simply you leave him out of your mind and your life. And then you will be uh, far apart from him. But take joy in that when you accept Christ, Life is everlasting. You will have eternal life. And that's something I quoted earlier, that we will have eternal life and that eternal joy with Christ and with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And know that in Revelation, we look forward to the day where that he will wipe away every tear from our eyes, that there will be no longer death, grief, crying, or pain, and that all of those things will have passed away and that we have a future and a hope in Jesus Christ. So... That's the call. If you've been called, you believe, you've been charged. You've been charged with the Great Commission. That Great Commission, and I've probably mentioned this before, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, or having gone, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. We must be encouraged by the Holy Spirit, equipped to share the gospel, to reach those around us. We are to be the salt and the light in the world. We are to then go forward into the world as Christ has sent us, to not be of the world, to be sanctified in truth, held by joy held by the Holy Spirit, and empowered by the knowledge of the word of truth. So I'm going to get to the main point here, that Jesus lifts troubled souls by sanctifying us in his truth and his joy. And then one thing I would also like to leave with you before we get to the application, if you missed the main point, I'm going to park here for a moment. Uh, truth exists. You're going to go out into the world, and the world will tell you that your truth is your truth. And truth is relative. They even may even say something as uh, disturbing as all truth is relative. Everybody can own their own truth. If you, someone says all truth is relative, the first thing you should say back to them, is that relative? Because a claim to say that all truth is relative is an absolute claim about truth, and therefore it is not relative. It's a self-defeating uh, statement and ideology. 
There is one truth, and that truth is Jesus Christ. That truth is that Jesus has come to save you, and that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. Jesus is real and alive and is at the right hand of the Father. The Holy Spirit is working amongst you and dwelt in you and carrying you through to the end of the age. Jesus has promised this. This is a promise we can stand on for all time. So in application, we are called to faith in Christ to be salt and light in the world, sanctified in his truth and his word. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and point out, if anybody has any questions, please come uh, talk to one of your leaders. If you're unsure about Jesus and who Jesus is, or your faith, or what you believe, please reach out to your leader in your small group. And if, uh, if you feel so comfortable, you can come reach out to any other leader as well if you have any questions. Please do not uh, let this opportunity to go by. Today is the day. Today is the day you were called if you are not saved. Please do not leave this ministry without asking a question if you have one, okay? And with that, I'm going to go ahead and release you to your small groups. Please return to the chairs, and thank you so much.